You're listening to the Spirit and Truth Podcast. I'm Maggie Ulmer, and this is a special drop-in episode from the Firebrand Podcast. In this interview, I continue a conversation with Dr. Cindy Swan, who was previously on the Firebrand Podcast, to discuss the importance of spiritual warfare and her book, Christus Victor. In this one-on-one interview, she and I discuss the power of intercession. We discuss some testimonies of answered prayer. It's a great conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear it. I am Maggie Omer, and I am on Zoom today with the wonderful Dr. Cindy Swan. She's a return guest. Thank you so much for being back on the podcast. Thank you, Maggie. I love being here. Well, um, for those of you who heard Cinda's first interview with uh, David and Scott and me, we talked about her book, Christus Victor, and we chatted about spiritual warfare and prayer, and it just felt like that conversation could have gone on and on and on. And so we decided it should continue. Let's have her back and talk about more wonderful things. Well, thank you. So um, spiritual spiritual warfare is a complex topic. You know, it has a lot of angles and facets to it. Well, so one of the things that you mentioned on the last podcast that I would love to hear more about is just how you grew up. Okay. Well, uh, you know, my dad was a civil engineer. Mm Mm-hmm. And he had always had a desire to travel the world. He grew up in in great poverty, but he uh, worked hard. He got an education, put himself through college, working two jobs throughout the night. And his dream was to always travel. So he got when he got a job with a civil engineering company, he tried to get any job he could overseas. And he took us all with him. So uh, I, I, my first country that uh, we moved to when I was three was Haiti. Mm. And we lived in the back reaches of Haiti. And that was a very uh, uh, exotic experience. You know, it really impresses one. It, it, it makes an impression on a young mind because uh, the where we lived back in the very rural back reaches of the mountains there, they practice voodoo. And they were very curious about us children. And at night, in the middle of the night, we would sometimes be awakened, us little children, because there was no glass in the houses that we lived in, just screens. Mm-hmm. And they would scratch on the screens to wake us up. But they were in full headdress and face paint and we would just about nearly faint in our beds. So <laughs> that that's some of my earliest memories there in oh Haiti. Oh my goodness. <laughs> did you um how long did you live in Haiti? We lived there a year and a half. Mm. And, and we moved we moved back to the States and from there we went to Pakistan. Wow. And so we lived in Pakistan for two years. And then uh, in between uh, living in these various places, my mother is Scottish. Mm. And she grew up in Edinburgh. And she and my dad met through being pen pals. No way. And uh, he actually asked her to marry him 
when they were just pen pals before he'd actually ever met her. Wow. So anyway, they, they were married uh, over 60 years. And uh, so in between these uh, times that we lived in different countries, we would visit, always stop in to visit my relatives in Scotland. That's wonderful. And then uh, we lived in Turkey for seven years. And uh, the place we lived there was very remote uh, up in northern Turkey. And it was reported that that was a uh, pathway, the valley there, through which Paul himself would often journey. Mm. And it was so amazing living in Turkey, Maggie, because it was like we lived above a first century village. So when I read the Bible, it's, it's, I don't have to imagine what it's like because uh, truly this village that we lived near in Turkey had not, they did everything the way they did from the first century, from, from winnowing out the grain and treading it out with oxen to, you know, having one village well to bringing the sheep out during the day, bringing them back at night. So uh, it was marvelous. My, my, I always tell my children that my dad gave us the world mm. because he really, I, it's, it's very easy for me to understand what's going on around the world, having been in these different places. Not only did we live in these places, but then we traveled extensively around them. So we traveled through India and Kashmir, through Europe, Spain and Portugal, um, I went to boarding school in England uh, before I came back to the States at 16, where I finished high school. So that that's it in a nutshell. That <laughs> did you do you feel like I'm wondering, did these experiences in these very different, very non-Western in some ways, many ways, places, um, did that impact your gravitation towards spiritual warfare? You know, Maggie, I absolutely believe it did. I, I wrote that actually as part of my spiritual autobiography for my doctorate. You know, we're made to look at our how God's fingerprints on our lives. And, you know, you just, I think I said on our previous podcast that for you to really believe in evil, you don't need to read about it. You just need to buy a plane ticket to these majority mm. world nations. Now, it's been a long time since I've been to India. But when I was there and in Pakistan, you know, uh, mendicancy or being a beggar is actually a profession. Mm. And they would maim, deliberately maim their children or family members to be a part of that so that they could more uh, engaged compassion. And, you know, I, I witnessed uh, the untouchables and, you know, things like that. Yes, I absolutely believe that God allowed me to have those experiences so I could more readily understand and, and come to, to uh, become aware of the spiritual nature of reality, really. You know, and how, sorry, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say, how would you describe that? Like, how would you describe spiritual, the spiritual reality, either of those places or, or just if, if somebody was asking about, you know, what is, what do you mean when you say spiritual reality, but plenty of people walk through the world and they think, well, you know, it's basically a, it's a good place. You know, we, lots of times we just travel through the world and we only have a sense of our immediate spheres. You know, if we feel like we're good people and our, and our people, the people we love, like our, our immediate tribe, our families, our friends or whatever are basically good, then the world is basically okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what you mean when you talk about reality. Well, I think for me, I think Christianity best explains these societies, uh, just the idea of our innate human sinfulness. Mm -hmm. So that, to me, Christianity does the best job of all the religions to truly explain uh, why some societies tolerate such evil or oppression, mm. injustice. And I think it has to do with the original sin. You know, we are innately sinful. So it just makes sense to me. Yeah. So what I gather from your from what you're saying is that Christianity accurately describes sort of the the natural meaning the the unsanctified posture of of human the human heart and mind that we we untouched un, unchanged by god we sort of bend towards selfishness and and evil in varying degrees is that what That's you're right. saying we're, we're yeah. unregenerate yeah yeah and it you know uh catherine is it lacuna is that how you say her name she's a catholic theologian mm. She said something so profound. I've never forgotten it. I think a lot on it. I'm, and I probably will think on it the rest of my life. She said Trinity mm. should be the pattern for structuring society and for all human relationships. And I, you know, that's very profound statement. And it makes sense because truly, if we're created in the image of God, why wouldn't we want our societies to, to reflect his nature, his image? How do, we, how do we incorporate principles as revealed to us the truth of scripture and God's commandments, his ways, which, which are eternal life? You know, how do we reflect that in our societies, how we live, how we do business, how we anything, you know? Yes, I I think that's beautiful. I'm I'm thinking right now about so what is the nature of the Trinity? The it's nat it's in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Nat it's inherent. Keep wanting to say naturally. It's inherently relational, and serving. They serve one another, or and it's inherently compassionate, inherently loving, inherently self sacrificing. Yes, otherly focused. Otherly focused. That's right. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, I I'm wondering um how you did you 
you have such an incredible prayer practice, it seems, that you spend a lot of time in prayer. Yes? Uh, I try to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> you know, it's actually a calling. I think God, you know, I, I, I never, we don't choose our callings, you know. No. And, and God, for some reason, he set me apart at a very young age, really at the age of four. And uh, he, he is everything in my life. As I look back, he was leading and growing me in the work of intercession. And I, I believe with Reinhard Bonnke that prayer makes us the most useful people on the planet. Amen. Um, I remember you sharing that detail in our last interview about feeling that the that the Lord had come well that the Lord had come to you at such a young age, and it reminded me of um, of Sienna. I don't know if you're familiar with her. No, no. A Catherine of Sienna is one of oh, the. Oh yes, Catherine yes. of Sienna. That's right. Yes, yeah. she she had a a very powerful encounter um, with the Lord when she was a child that led her to many many years of prayer, and then, and she stayed in almost, if if I remember the history correctly, sort of in a in a room in her house. And prayed there for many years, just living a very simple, very sort of separated life, almost like an anchorite. Right. And then one day the Lord called her out and said, okay, I need you to come and do things. And I'm wondering if you've ever had this experience of, of being in sort of a rhythm and a way of being with the Lord where it's, it's just you and him. It's not easy necessarily, but it's just you and him. This is my work. And then he says, okay, I, now I'm calling you to take everything you've cultivated there and do some things for me. Absolutely. The vertical mm. always leads to the horizontal. Amen. That's so true. There, there's the cross right there. Mm -hmm. Our relationship with God, it's got to flow. If it's actually dynamic, it will naturally flow out to, into, into the world. It has to have an outlet, you know, a purpose. It, it cannot just, otherwise we would be just the Dead Sea, you know. So if we want to remain vital, what comes in has to flow out. And God did it. My husband and I laugh because for many, many years, uh, we will plan to go, for, we might plan a vacation, and we think we're going on vacation. <laughs> and then we're, when we're there, we get co-opted by God to do prayer walking. I mean, it's really significant events that God just has a way of, and we realize, oh, okay, this is really what our purpose is right now. <laughs> but so that, that, uh, that vertical does lead to the horizontal. So what are, um, you know, what are, what is, what do you think is, what is some of the fruit of, of prayer time for you? What are some experiences or testimonies that you would be willing to share? Well, uh, uh, the sweetest part of all is being in God's presence. Oh, yes. You know, he's so full of life. 
and and there's refreshing. Now I've had times of dryness. Mm. You know, I'm just a, uh, like anyone else. Uh, but what I've learned over the years, those times that are dry, God is still at work. It's usually He's just doing, calling. Uh, he's doing something. Mm-hmm. Usually calling me to dig deeper. You know, but I have learned to dig my own well over the years. And I try to be faithful to that. I need that to survive, actually. <laughs> if, if I go too long outside the presence of God, I, I just get lost. You know, I need to be centered. Um, but uh, so I, I think the joy for me is the, my work in evangelism. I love, I have a love of evangelism. Mm. I just, I I want to be used by God to bear testimony to Jesus. And so I've prayed a lot about that because I I really love uh, being with people and I want to see people come to Jesus. And I think that's been the most fruitful part for me of intercession is to pray. And, and, And I have my own prayer list of people I'm praying for, but more often than not, uh, God has expanded my boundaries where I'm uh, involved in helping churches uh, pray prayer walk, their mm-hmm. city streets and, you know, uh, all the different institutions that make up the city. And, and then to see God move. So I, I, I'd love to tell a story if I have time. You have all the time you want. Go ahead. So, uh, you know, we live in Campbellsville, which is about the very, it's actually, we have a marker by the Corps of Army Engineers on the campus of Campbellsville University here. That they, it's a star, bronze star of David they planted in the ground. And it says, this is the center of the state. Okay, this is mm. the very center of Kentucky. And oddly enough, the county that I live in, Taylor County, which is the center of Kentucky, is shaped like a heart. So we're often called the heartland here in Taylor County. But here we are in this rural area, center of the state. And yet, when I first moved here to Campbellsville, I, I... I had never witnessed this very American scene before. I came here, a piece of Americana, and it was the cruising scene. Oh. (laughs) And it blew me away because our little city, we have eight blocks that make up the center of our city. But on any given weekend throughout the year, it would be choked with up from 700 to 1100 cars wow of cruisers and those cruisers they would come as far away as indiana ohio and tennessee to cruise in campbellsville we don't have that many teenagers you know <laughs> 1100 <Wow. laughs> so uh anyway it was always a a very raucous uh, exhaust filled gridlock 
in the center of the city. Mm-hmm. And our church, First United Methodist Church, sat right there in the middle of all that and mm-hmm. down on one of those blocks, city blocks. And on any uh, Sunday evening, I could barely hear the preacher because of the bass from the kids' stereos, you know, that oh, yeah. rattled the windows. So, uh, you know, we, we all knew we needed to do something about it in some way, uh, do it, you know, reach those kids outside there. But then one night when Terry and I were coming through, we happened to get caught in this uh, gridlock of teenagers cruising. And we saw a pickup truck come down the street and it had uh, she had to be like 13 or 14 years old. A little girl was standing up in the back of the pickup and she had taken her pants off and had them over her arm and was waving to all the raucous uh, cheers of the crowd as she they drove down the street. And my heart broke. Yeah. And I, I had a little girl. My daughter was about that age. And I turned to Terry and I said, you know, it's time we did something about the cruising. And so over the next three months, we now we had a marvelous team of intercessors who met every week for years here in the city of Campbellsville praying for the city. So they all came from different churches and I had plugged into them and we would meet every week and pray one half hour for the city. So I had a good network already. And uh, I said, so what we did, we, we got all these churches to participate and be involved. And we went to all the businesses and we asked for free donations of Cokes and soft drinks and hot dogs and hamburgers. And the churches, uh, we asked for workers, volunteers who would be willing to work the outreach. And we trained uh, the people to say one sentence prayers for the mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. So our our plan was to offer uh, a hot dog or a hamburger and a soft drink to these cruisers and to just begin to connect with them, talk with them, and then maybe even say, uh, hey, would you like us? Is there anything we could pray about for you? Or would you be comfortable if I said just a, a small prayer for you? Mm-hmm. And and we always ask their permission. Sure. And uh, almost everyone we asked, the kids were so polite. And they, you know, they're playing their stereos. We, we had taped worship music and it was being broadcast uh, in the streets from our own steeple there at the church. But uh, you couldn't hear it for the stereos of the kids. But anyway, uh, we had, in the months leading up to that, we met every week, we prayed for the outreach. We prayer walked every week. We had teams of, from all the churches prayer walking the streets of the routes that they used. And then on the night of the outreach, we had an upper room warfare team that Mm -hmm. worshiped and prayed and just pounded heaven with everything they could while we worked the streets. And we switched out with that team. And as the night progressed, the atmosphere began to change Mm -hmm. and the teens turned off their stereos Mm -hmm. 
so they could listen to the music. They were thankful, all of them, some asked for prayer, asked us for prayer. Some got out of their cars to come and talk to us. Uh, I know that I rem- my memory serves me correctly. One of them did give their lives to Christ. But many of the teens, they were just profoundly touched. I mean, the, but what, here's the thing, that about one in the morning, I was looking out that upper room window, and suddenly there was such a stillness, and everyone stopped, and even, you know, the teens had rolled their windows down and everything, the car stopped, it was very quiet, and we're all looking up, and this golden glow began to started at the top of the buildings all along main street and came down (laughs) into the streets and just flooded the streets with this gold light and the presence of god was so strong and uh after that night we got letters from these kids they wrote to us and they also wrote to the newspaper and they said they said things like if you if you continue to do this all the bad people and the drug people who deal drugs will will leave and uh they said uh they they thanked us they they uh the police said it was one of the quietest weekends they had ever had to police And the reason I I share this uh, story, you know, last time we had talked, Maggie, we spoke about how spiritual warfare should be a component of any missional church. Yes. Because we are dealing with antichrist spirits, spiritual hosts of wickedness, who oppose the mission of the church. They oppose the testimony and knowledge of Jesus Christ. They do not want the gospel to go forth. And, and certainly not to see people saved. And, and so spiritual warfare should, if, if we're doing it effectively, in, in, and, it, we, it's, and of course, it's not us. It's really understanding who Jesus is and who we are in him. You know, we talked about that before. But if we are effective in in taking that authority that Christ died to give us, then we should see what in three outcomes, an open heaven, increased evangelism, and a diminished presence of evil. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened. In, In just a couple years, no more cruising. It's completely gone. After that, those we we did three outreaches wow. over that course of that year, but it 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 dissipated, and there was an open heaven that night. You know, greater kids were responding in an open heaven. There's a greater ability to to apprehend God, and to hear and to respond to God's grace. And that's what happened that night. The kids were responding to the grace of God. I think the idea of open heaven is not something perhaps many people are familiar with. 
Could you talk a little bit more about what is an open heaven and how do we cultivate? How do we, I don't know, how do we can't make that happen, but how do we facilitate circumstances or participate with the Lord in a way that, you know? Well, uh, Luke 3, 21 and 22, Jesus was praying and heaven opened. That's exactly what the scripture says. And he was praying and heaven opened. And then you hear God's voice and he speaks and you see the Holy Spirit descend. So it's scriptural that open heaven results from prayer. You know, and an open heaven, uh, and I don't have all understanding on this, uh, but it, my thinking is that as we pray, those spiritual hosts of wickedness that occupy the second heavens, right? Paul spoke, Paul spoke of a third heaven, right? If there's a third and we're the first, I, I think it presupposes a second, yeah. which is what Peter Wagner thought. Uh, that's where the spiritual hosts of wickedness reside. So uh, as we pray, we brush away, we, we wipe away, we clear away any obstacle or resistance that hinders us from receiving the grace of God and responding more directly to his grace. And we're able to hear and to to understand or apprehend who Jesus is better, you know, uh, because in an open heaven, there's a greater clarity. Have you ever had that happen more? Has it happened more than that time? Have you experienced that descending of God's presence and the greater clarity and the dissipation of of evil in, in other circumstances and situations as a result of prayer? Well, uh, certainly I've experienced open heaven. I think all of us have. Mm. Have you been in worship? And then suddenly you get all these revelations, right? Yeah. And you start taking notes and writing down ideas and, oh man, this will preach. And, oh, I, you know, I think worship creates an open heaven. You know? I agree. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I, um, on occasion, will serve on the worship team at my church. And, uh, you know, worship teams now are so technical, technological advanced. We, um, our particular worship team, we use in-ear monitors. So because we have a band and it just makes everybody keep in time and all of that. Well, one of the people who was leading a song, leading sung worship was leading a song, um, the Agnus Dei. And I could feel a shift happening in the room, but I, you know, I couldn't hear it because I had in-ears. I had my little ear monitors and, and I took them out so that I could hear the congregation singing, which is in my opinion, it's always the hardest part about participating in the worship team that I can't hear the other people worshiping. But um, I took my, my monitors out and it was interesting. I, something happened and it was just this 
unity in surrender. Now, I've never experienced supernatural unity before. I've experienced unity in that we're all saying the same thing at the same time. We're all singing the same song. We're all standing in the same room. We're all maybe even affirming the same creed or whatever, but there was something else. There was a sort of, for me, I don't know if everyone could sense it in the room, but I sensed this unified praise, holy, 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 worthy is the lamb. I mean, and that is what everyone is singing in heaven right now. I heard like in my spirit, we're all doing it. We're all gathered around the throne, where these lamb. Anyway, it was really something. I had to sort of collect myself. I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't it know sounds what to do. like there was such a harmony mm-hmm. and an order. There's an order that is led of the spirit. It's not human initiated even. Yes. Yeah. And a real sweetness. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that. You know, I guess, I guess any means of grace like, you know, preaching is a means of grace. Oh, absolutely. Taking communion. You know, the word uh, in Ephesians where, I think it's Ephesians, where uh, Paul tells us, may, I'm sorry, maybe it's Thessalonians, where Paul tells us that uh, every time we take of the bread and drink of the cup, we proclaim his death until he comes. Well, that word proclaim, kata angelo, right? Kata, to cause to bring down, angelo, the divine. So proclamation, the proclamation, you know, Wesley called it, the. it truly is means of grace. And I think that's probably the most telling thing about an open heaven. You know, so prayer, worship, anything that causes the divine, the grace of, is a means of grace that uh, uh, that's that's uh, worthy of saying. I'd say that was as close to a, a definition of open heaven we could probably think of. Now, uh, uh, prayer walking. Yes. You know, the scripture uh, you know, Jesus was, a, I think he was a big advocate of prayer walking. You know, I mean, the scripture tells us in, in uh, Matthew 4.18 that as he was walking beside the sea, he he called Peter and Andrew to follow him, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think of prayer walking as pre-evangelism. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And God is called... And not not just myself, he has a whole army of intercessors. He calls us to prayer walk. And it's been amazing some of the things that the Holy Spirit has orchestrated around the world, Mm. Uh, even unified uh, of prayer walking, where he's calling people from around the world to converge and Mm. prayer walk on certain things that that Jesus is working on, I guess. to bring about redemptive history. <laughs> you right at the end of the podcast, the last time we um spoke, you shared that wonderful story of encounter and uh where the where Jesus came to you and was almost seemed exasperated. You know, Cinda, I'm doing things. 
Um, and I forget, I cannot, the country escapes me now. Romania. Romania. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> so I was wondering if you could just talk more about that, talk more about evangel or uh, intercession in, and just, that's just the, the deep work in the spirit and how it brings things about. I would love to, you know, what's so cool about all this is that the chief intercessor is leading the charge. Amen. I mean, if you look at history, it came to me. Uh, have, have you ever heard of a book called Pustinia by Catherine de Heck Daughtry? Mm-mm. Oh, it's so worth your reading. If you can find a copy. I don't think it's in print, but there are copies out there. And I, I'm sorry, I won't give that book to anybody. <laughs> I don't want to lose. <laughs> I understand. I have a couple of those. <laughs> But uh, she was uh, uh, part of the Russian aristocracy. Mm. And during the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917, she and her family fled Russia uh, to come over to the States. And then she tells her story, you know, the Eastern Orthodoxy, how they take things so literally, really, in uh, Eastern Orthodoxy. And she, uh, God leads her to actually dedicate her life to intercession. So it's a marvelous autobiography. But what really struck me, Maggie, is that prior to the Bolshevik Revolution, she tells this story of this young man named Peter who, who answered a call to intercession. And God called him to be what she called, Epustinia uh, means hermitage, I mm-hmm. guess, in Russian. And so God called him to be a Pustiniki. That was the name of a hermit. And, and, and she said there was such a move of God's spirit. All these young people just gave up everything. And they went off into the wilderness of Russia to follow God's call in intercession with nothing more than a staff and a loaf of bread and their Bible. Okay, they left everything. And he was wealthy. He was from a wealthy family. But what uh, she described is that almost every village in Russia had their own holy man or holy woman who lived somewhere in the area and they knew was was interceding for the village. Isn't that interesting? Yes. That, that's common, actually, over in the East. I mean, that's a very Syrian Christian thing. You know, mm. there were Syrian Christians who 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 answered that call. And it, out of the same uh, 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 vein as St. Anthony, mm-hmm. right? This call to go off and to intercede. And for what I remember, uh, let me get back. Don't let, I, I'll come back to that story in a moment. Just a quick aside. I remember... Um, 60 Minutes, I saw on 60 Minutes where they interviewed a young man from Australia who answered the call to take up St. Anthony's work of intercession in the desert there by the somewhere. uh, And and I know they've made it into a they built a chapel over it and everything else. (laughs) But nobody really knows his exact cave that he lived in but this young man was living in a cave to intercede for his calling was to intercede for the world 
And so Catherine tells his story how God did that throughout Russia prior to the Bolshevik Revolution, just on the cusp of it. And so for 70 years of communism, God had his intercessors all throughout the Soviet Union interceding and praying. Now, isn't that, and here's the thing, God has done this everywhere throughout history. Like I, when I, Terry and I lived in Paris for a couple months. We went over there in 2015. Still mm. a dream of mine to, to live in Paris, work on my, my French. And uh, when you visit the Sacred Heart, Cathedral of the Sacré-Sœur, uh, you see that the national vow of France is it's written there in the cathedral. And uh, I don't have it in front of me word for word, I sh- uh, or I would have looked it up if I'd known I was going to reference it. But <laughs> it says, we will serve Jesus Christ forever. We will be his forever. But they have had a prayer group 24-7 for, for oh, over 100 years. 24-7 meet, that meets through the that, that uh, uh, Catholic presence there to intercede for France and for the world. Mm. So see, God, isn't that awesome? How yes. God does that? God, yes. is, God is at work in the world. And uh, it's like that worship song, you know, hey, we can't we can't we can't see him, but he's working. You know, we may not feel it, but we can know he's working. Yes. Waymaker. <laughs> yeah. The um one of the books that ha- was and is continues to be very, very formative for me is um The Interior Castle by Teresa of Avila. And I sort of happened upon this book very accidentally because it was assigned reading for my husband who went to seminary. And I, when he went to his, I sort of picked it up just out of curiosity after he had finished with it in his class. I sort of, well, what is this? He said, oh, it's about prayer. You would like it. (laughs) (laughs) And so I read it and I was utterly confused by it. Um, and because it, it's not what I would call a very linear read, it's not necessarily, you know, it's not, it's not like what we think of today as practical kind of how to pray kind of book method. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does a lot more with character, right? Yes, it does. It begins yes, with it. humility. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I read it again right away. Um, it was one of the few moments when my pride served some sort of purpose. I I finished it. I didn't understand it. And I was very frustrated by that. (laughs) So I read it again. And um, it describes the, the, you know, the human soul at almost like a castle or a, or a, a, a sort of a concentric sort of structure of reflective surfaces, which sin has marred, has blocked light. And, you know, reflective surfaces, if there's light in the midst of a, a, a bunch of mirrors, it sort of bounces eternally, right? It reflects light yes. eternally. Uh-huh. And so this process of prayer and intercession and 
and sort of union with God in prayer is the process of clearing away all of the internal stuff and hearing God more clearly. And um, it's both, it always struck me as an interesting book because it's sort of Ignatian in a way, because it's very sort of like a reflective contrition kind of thing, but also it it fosters intercession. And um, so I value books like that, like your book, the book Pustina referenced here. And um, I think that sometimes we want the quick way. You know, yes. we, we, we want to read the how-to book yes. and feel like then we're going to do it and we have accomplished something. And what we're looking for is the sense of accomplishment. But what you're describing with these prayer groups in these cities, and I, you know, a city like Paris has existed for a long time. <laughs> you know, it's just not like cities in America. <laughs> um, you know, prayer intercession. It's as much about I. I'm in from where I'm sitting. What I think is, it's as much about our willingness to persevere and continue in the participation with God's desire. We just have, you know, to sort of say, "Yes, I will do this. Yes, I will be with you again today, Lord. I will listen for what Your will is, and I will." allow my heart and compassion to be led towards those things which you care about, which you are, are crying about, which you are, you know, interceding for, as you say, mm -hmm. Jesus, the chief intercessor. But anyway, um, sorry, it was a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I was no, just I like that. I like it, Maggie. And I like that you use the word union because mm. I think our hearts long to be in union. And I think of uh, that scripture while you were talking, I was thinking that one, one of my favorite books of the Bible, my favorite book of the Bible is whatever book I'm in at the time, actually, but <laughs> that's great, <laughs> except maybe Leviticus <laughs> or Leviticus, you get a bad rap, <laughs> but uh, Song of Solomon. Oh gosh. Yes. And she says, before I was aware my fancy set me in a chariot beside my prince. Hmm. And to me, that's such a perfect picture of the, the contemplative life. Hmm. Before you're aware, uh, there are mo I, when I, I love it when God helps me uh, to reach, get, enter that place of real contemplation where where I can experience union with God and just experience his presence and yeah. his life. And I, I'll, I'll snap back to the present and I'm not even sure I've blinked for a few sure. minutes. You know what I mean? I'm just lost. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I think our society, we're products of the modern enlightenment project, right? Mm. Yeah. We're enlightenment thinkers and, mm -hmm. We, we Americans, no less, uh, with that strong individual bent and work ethic and oh, yes. you know, measuring. Uh, Terry always says, reminds me we're human beings, not human doings, you know. Mm. And I am a momentologist for sure. I, I like to stop and enter, experience the moments, you know. 
Terry's much more uh, goal-centered and achievement-oriented, like get A done, B done, C done, you know, but sure. <laughs> I, I mean, I admire people like that, honestly, because I so feel like that is the, it's a struggle. It's easier for me and sort of let my mind wander out and just finally let it settle and be with the Lord. And I could stare out a window and just do that for a couple hours, but work. Yeah. <laughs> Life. You know, um, you, you had mentioned also what, how can people tell if there's an open heaven? I have mm. found that a lot of people and including myself, tend to cry when God draws near. Oh, yes. And so when that greater dimension, the spiritual dimension of heaven, breaks in on us and comes near, usually I physically, my physical frame actually gets weak. I, I, I get weak. I have to sit down or I feel like I can hardly stand up. And then, and then I cry. You know, yeah. I always cry in the presence of the Lord. No, I'm a weeping intercessor. <laughs> do you still intercede for things in a group or on your own? Or how do you practice your calling? God usually sends projects to me. Mm. And, and I get invited a lot to, to help network with churches and help them prayer walk. We had a small prayer group here in the city. It met for over 30 years every week. Wow. Yeah. And then I found is so we were talking how the Holy Spirit orchestrates things. Yeah. Like <clears throat> back uh several years ago, uh I uh, a pastor and I got to talking and he was interested in trying to help his congregation become more prayerful. And so we did some meetings together with his congregation and we decided we felt together that God wanted us to organize a prayer walk around our county. And so with the, we networked with other pastors. We got all these people involved. And that's another thing, uh, Maggie. I don't believe in being a Lone Ranger. Mm. I believe in working with boots on the ground. And those are our pastors. Yeah. They're, the, they're the ones vested in the lives of their city and their people. So I, I, if I ever get invited, it's such an honor, first of all. But I want to, I want a, as big a presence of the church as possible when we do something like that for the city. But anyway, we ended up uh, this marvelous Saturday morning. Uh, over a hundred people showed up, and we split up and went to every area of the county and prayer walked the county and planted scriptures and worshipped and. Mm. So uh, I can come to find out God did that in every single state across the U.S. No. Every county in Kentucky, every courthouse prayed for, and then the same in every state. Wow. Even where we drove around the state lines and prayer drove our state borders. So I just want to say again. God's he's the chief intercessor. He, he <laughs> has the church praying. And there are people who respond readily to that. And our, our, I feel my calling is to undergird the work of the church, like, like yourself, you know, as a pastor, mm. uh, that you 
our pastors who are on the front lines, goodness, how much more effective would they be if the church, the body of Christ, literally put that platform of power under their feet? Like Charles Finney said, yearned over their pastors anxiously with anxious longing to see that their pastor be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. I'm grateful for the people who stand in the pulpit and I, it's rarely a glamorous job. I think we are, uh, we need to remind the church. We we need to operate on a different wavelength altogether from the world. Oh, a hundred percent. And the, yeah. the church pastors, they got to know we're, we live in an instant society. Everything moves so fast, but really when you're in the life of the spirit, 20 years may go by before you see a real move of, of power. Mm-hmm. I mean, Daniel, we look at yes. the life of Daniel. Daniel went in and out. You know, there were kings who did not know Daniel. So he yeah. obviously went into obscurity for a season, right? Yes. We can't live at that. We just don't want that. I guess we need to handle those expectations yes. for each other and remind each other about the the vestedness of a life lived for God, a faithfulness. Mm-hmm. You know, a really good book you would, I think you might enjoy, Hemet, uh, Bob Beckett, Commitment to Conquer. Mm. And he's he's from Hemet, California, but God took him to Hemet, he and his wife. And for the first five years, God began putting all these strange happenings and he began spiritually. He didn't know he was spiritually mapping, but that's what he was doing. Mm. And after it took him 15 years to spiritually map before he began to finally realize uh God actually led him then to a place where he could engage in some serious warfare. And they broke the back of the, the stronghold, the, the principality over that region. Hmm. Quite a story. But look how long it took. Yes. You know, a faithfulness, just faithfully, day by day, doing the work of the kingdom, shepherding God's people, teaching God's people, loving God's people. And I just want to get after God's people because it, the work of the kingdom should be in demonstrations, not just in word only, but yes. in, in the spirit and in power. Mm-hmm. And we make that available as we pray. Yeah. We have to be faithful to testify to every manifestation of God's as as much as we can. I I think we're often quick to explain things away. You know, when God does answer a prayer, sometimes I think we're quick to sort of say, oh, well, that was a coincidence or something like that, like takes a long time sometimes. That's right. And a steadfast mind. Yeah. Yeah. The Lord's been speaking to me about that out of Isaiah 26, 11. Oh, yeah. You know, the steadfast mind. Yes. Is it? I was he will keep in perfect perfect peace. peace. His mind has stayed on the, but I like the way the NASB says it. The steadfast mind stays focused on God, uh, and God will keep that steadfast in of mind in perfect peace because He trusts in Him. Mm-hmm. And I, the Lord's been 
kind of dealing with me about my lack of trust lately and mm. not having a steadfast mind. And I, I've been repenting actually before him that I got to get my mind to be more steadfast uh, and trust and remember I often have to remind myself all the ways in the past that where God's been working and, and he graciously has allowed me to see it at some point and realize, wow, you know, that really builds my faith. You've been there all the time. You've been going ahead and putting yes. this together. And, but, you know, I do. Yes. I'm so grateful for this conversation and um, I hope that you will entertain the podcast again sometime. I just really enjoy talking to you about prayer and intercession and your wisdom and uh, your testimonies are beautiful. And I think it's so encouraging to the body of Christ. I'm just really grateful that you are willing to be on the podcast with me again today. Thank you, Maggie. What a privilege to be oh able goodness. to speak about these things with you and, and share them with others who love the Lord and are serving him. And I, I just pray that that this might be encouraging to God's children out there who are in the trenches doing the work of, of the kingdom and may God bless them and may God send them intercessors. Amen. Amen to that. <laughs> that has been our episode today, friends. And um, again, we are so grateful to Dr. Cindy Swan and you should check out her excellent book, Christus Victor. We just hope you have a wonderful week and we'll come back to you in the next conversation.